to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leone. Exciting episode here for you today, talking about dominating your home league. I've got Drew Dinkmeyer on with me. Drew, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Uh, I guess this is my second appearance on Establish the Edge, right? Our, our stream draft where we got Daryl Henderson with uh, Christian McCaffrey. That is probably both our, our best teams during the underdog best ball season is, is, uh, is my inaugural appearance, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we ran pretty pure uh, in that draft for sure. So you can go back and check that out. We have a lot of best ball stuff. If you're still grinding best ball, this episode is going to be more geared to home leagues and kind of like shifting our mindset from best ball to that. Before we get into it, do want to remind everybody that we have a special promo code for the Establish the Edge listeners. If you use promo code ETE, you get a 5% discount on any Establish to Run premium package that includes our redraft kit which is $34.99 ridiculously cheap price tag if you're new to underdog you get a $35 credit there with a $10 deposit even if you're not new to underdog if you let them know and you signed up through ETR you still just get $10 added to your account just for signing up with the ETR draft kit so take advantage of that I would recommend though doing the bundle kit with our in-season package where you get all the DFS content and Drew and I do a show every Saturday morning, Establish the Million, where we cover GPP strategy. Drew takes an angle from large field, multi-entry. I'm a little bit more single entry, three max, smaller field, uh, but we mix it up. I think it's a really good strategy show. And it's very helpful because a lot of shows out there can be so player centric and the contests you're playing in really matter and shape the way you want to apply these strategies and you know, how you're going to utilize different players, whether you're going to play them, fade them, and whatnot. So again, use promo code ETE to get a 5% discount on any Establish the Run package. So I wanted to do this podcast because a lot of the episodes here, we're talking some sharper formats, you know, NFFC, FFPC, Underdog, playing with some sharper competition, also playing in competitions that have these really big overall price structures. And what happens though when we enter a home league, a casual league, where we don't have to worry about an overall tournament at the end? We know our league mates aren't as strong. The ADP is not as strong. So our edge is in a lot of different areas. How do we best take advantage of that? Because sometimes it can be hard to know. You would think it would be easier, but sometimes it can be harder to know exactly what you should be doing in your home league because there are a lot more avenues that you can take. It's not like, oh, I'm doing NFFC. I'm going to go zero running back because people are going to you know, devalue wide receivers and I can crush them. You know, it's not as straightforward as that. Yeah, I think with with a home league, you think through kind of where the edges could potentially be and you think through, okay, I can have a structural edge, which is something that you might be able to exert on your competition in higher stakes formats or uh, different paid formats. You think about player evaluation edge, you know, maybe in higher stakes formats, it's a little bit harder to exert that edge because people are using either you know, strong content that they've provided themselves or from other content providers uh, that isn't stale. They're not you know showing up at the magazine that they purchased uh, at the beginning of August in in in, uh, in, in their local convenience store uh, to be able to draft. And you think about also during the course of the season, you know, we focus so much of the content around best ball where there is no ability to move or transact during the course of the season. But in your home league, you know, you're able to trade, you're able to uh, work the waiver wire. And so I think building teams that allow you 
the ability to maximize and implement more of those edges and tap into more of those different buckets of where you can exert edge is very, very useful uh, in home leagues. Whereas in opposed to, you know, higher stakes leagues or different types of formats where you're competing in sharper competition, all those edges get much, much smaller. And so you're kind of focused on one big one, which is structural. How can I create these structural advantages over my opponents? Because really like, player evaluation, we're probably going to be pretty similar on, we're probably going to be pretty tight on waiver wires. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to try to exert some edge there, but it might be a little bit challenging and same with trades. So I think really in, in home leagues, there are a lot more different places that you can exploit that edge, but being able to do it efficiently is a challenge because there's so many different ways that you can distract yourself into believing you have edge in all these different spots. Yeah, when we do these podcasts on NFFC, FFPC, they have waivers, but not only is the competition sharper, but those drafts are, you know, those rosters are 20 size, you know, 20 man rosters, whereas your home league is probably 15 to 16. So the quality of waivers is a different story too, which affects how you can draft late. So we've got, we still have a structural edge. It's just, we also have an edge in waivers. We also have an edge in straight up picking the best players, which we joke about how, you know, in DFS oftentimes and in, in sharp leagues, you can't just pick the best players. because Everyone's trying to do that. Well, in home leagues, you can. So I guess kind of like, let's start there and how to draft relative to ADP because ADP can be so bad in these home leagues. Yeah. I'm looking at our, you know, our rankings on established to run. We have with our generic standard half PPR and full PPR ranks. We have the fantasy pros kind of consensus ADP there. And, it's not the best ADP out there, but it does show you just how different we are from the market in a lot of ways. And, you know, for an example, you know, someone like Patrick Mahomes in these casual leagues will go in the second, third round, you know, which is, you're pretty outrageous. The quarterbacks in general get pushed up, but you know, that one sticks out in particular. But the question I get asked a lot is, you know, someone like Daryl Henderson, who we have, in a full PPR league, generally, we have him ranked around 40th overall after the cluster of really good receivers that you get at the 3-4 turn, RB16. His fantasy pros ADP is 61 right now, RB25. When do I take Daryl Henderson and guys like that? You know, do you have any – like how do you do that when you're in you know a Yahoo draft room? And I think Adam Levitan is going to release his great series, which is like taking advantage of the default drafts screens on some of these sites but drew for you how do you weight adp in these non-sharp leagues where the adp is less of a signal for like some of the reason we bake an adp is like we could be wrong and like we're baking in the signal wisdom of the crowds but like it's a bad adp so that's not really true and there's so many guys we have different than adp like how do you decide who to take and when yeah i, I think generally you're trying to you're, you're trying to sort of ride that wave on how far and how long can I wait for a player uh, to get them at the best possible price point. And in a lot of these instances with home leagues as well, you really have to know your competition and know like who, who their personalities are and how they want to draft and different things. And if you've been competing with these people for years, you might have had the opportunity to develop that. You might know, um, you know, that Ron likes running backs or that, uh, Joe uh, likes taking, you know, teams from the hometown team. Uh, if you're in Buffalo Bills or if you're in, you know, Los Angeles, the Rams or, or whatever. So you, you might like learn those things over time. And, and I think that's, that's really useful and helpful. 
in general, for me, a player like that specifically with that specific question in Daryl Henderson that we have as like a top 40-ish player that consensus ADP show around 60, I would start looking in the 50s generally, like early, early 50s. I, I want to still be a little bit ahead of ADP, um, but I want to extract a little bit more value than our, than our rankings have. And, you know, I think you can afford to be greedy in a lot of these spots because you'll get more and more spots to be greedy um, during the course of the draft. And so I don't think you want to necessarily just draft straight off our ranks without any contextualizing for ADP or the opponents that you're competing against, because I think you'll actually end up leaving some edge on the table simply because your league mates aren't going to draft the same way. Yeah, I think it makes sense if you've got a few players that are even remotely close in terms of the tiers that you're viewing them to use ADP as a tiebreaker, try to build your monster teams. And point you made there that I think is really important is you're going to have a lot of opportunities to beat people beat people on player evals and discrepancies in rankings. You know, whereas in a sharper, like underdog league, that might only happen once, maybe twice a draft where you're like, oh man, this player is like a real good value. This could happen throughout your entire draft. But of course you need to know your league. If you're playing in a super sharp league, you might have to tweak that a little bit. If you're playing in your average home league though, it really is a big difference if you're shifting from some of these higher stakes leagues or some of these best ball leagues. Additionally, you're going to get those opportunities not only throughout the draft, but throughout the season as well, right? Because you have the ability to transact with trades. And so, you know, most of these leagues that we talk about in terms of higher stakes or best ball or different things like that, they don't allow trades uh, because they're big roll-up tournaments. They don't they don't want to deal with collusion uh, allegations and different things like that. So even if you don't get Daryl Henderson, like in this example, let's say Daryl Henderson goes 55 and you had picked 57 and you were kind of stretching that edge you still after the draft could maybe work a trade that values him closer to pick 45 if you really wanted to go out and get him. Um, so there's still going to be opportunities throughout the course of the season, not just throughout the course of the draft to exert that edge on player evaluation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, let's circle it to the top of the draft. And a lot of our content at times focuses around the running back position, how to handle that. In best ball, we've talked about hyper fragile and zero RB. In NFFC, I've already done one show with Sean Siegel talking about how the zero running back or even just the anchor hero running back, one running back early strategies really work well in those types of leagues. And I struggle applying this to a home league. And I'll, I'll kind of give you both sides of where my brain is thinking on this. Uh, on one side, I lean more towards taking one or two running backs early, just understanding that I have more edges elsewhere and it feels a little bit safer to do that. I'm still going to get a lot of the wide receivers that you know, wide receivers that I'm taking in round six on underdog right now, I might be taking in round seven and eight and nine in my home league. So I can still get that wide receiver depth I want and play it a little bit safer at running back. The other part of me thinks I should even go more extreme zero RB because I'm just absolutely going to crush people like no one else is going to do it in my league so i'm really going to crush people at wide receiver one two three the flex i'm going to be able to get my zero rb targets later in the draft with a lot less competition if i'm quick on waivers and i'm paying attention i'm going to be able to beat people there which is really critical to a zero rb strategy so and the one thing Sean Siegel mentioned when I did the Zero RB podcast with him, he says, you know, one of the most dangerous things you can do 
is like start out zero RB with like four receivers and kind of stop there and get a couple running backs where you're not maximizing the edge of zero RB and you're actually introducing a little bit more risk and you th- more risk when you think you're mitigating risk. So that's a little different than I think taking the running backs earlier to start. So there's these two sides of the coin, Drew. How do you feel about it? Well, I, the first thing that I would say first and foremost is we talk about all these different strategies and all of these different concepts because we have some uniformity within league structures in terms of most of the higher stakes stuff and most of the best ball stuff is each week you're starting two running backs, three wide receivers and a flex. And then the differentiations are roster size um, and the differentiations might be scoring half point PPR versus full point PPR. When you get into home leagues, the range of outcomes on uh, league settings is really, really wide. And I think you need to be willing to adapt your strategies to the type of league setting that you're participating in. For example, I know there's still plenty of people out there that are probably in home leagues uh, that play in two running backs, two wide receiver, one flex, and no PPR. That's a that's a league where you're going to have uh, a lot less value to going the super heavy wide receiver route. And you might want to lean a little bit more running back early. Um, and in those super boomer leagues, which I have definitely participated <laughs> in. I'm, I'm in one of those. I'm in an auction where, you know, a couple years ago I grabbed Derrick Henry and I think I caught some flack probably showing that draft to you guys in Slack. And <laughs> because Derrick Henry was, it was just before he like really, really exploded. And he was kind of like the anti pick cause he doesn't catch passes, but you, you do have to put aside what you're used to. And obviously that worked out way better than expected, but had I not been willing to like adapt a little bit and understand the scoring system, I probably wouldn't have taken him. Uh, you know, I was willing to kind of make that adjustment. So you do need to make those adjustments for sure. And so if we think of the different strategies on a pendulum of where they fit best alongside different like league settings and league formats, I would say your initial thoughts on maybe starting a little bit running back heavier and knowing that you can add incremental value at the wide receiver position throughout the draft is something that I would move on the pendulum towards league settings that are a little bit more favorable to running backs. Fewer wide receiver positions are used, no no PPR or half point PPR, and the strategies that are a little bit more aggressive on the wide receiver side and going zero wide receiver and just kind of pedal to the metal on that strategy, I think are going to be more useful in leagues that have more flex spots, leagues that have three wide receivers, leagues that are full PPR, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I think you're right. I do play in a surprising amount of leagues. It's funny because I did the podcast with Jack Miller and Adam Levitan about how to do the first five rounds of your draft, depending on where you are in the first round. And Levitan was a little caught off guard that Jack was in a two running back, two wide receiver, one flex <laughs> league. And I, I'm, I think most of my home leagues are that actually like more so than the two running back, three wide receiver and a flex. And it does make a pretty big difference because the, the zero RB or wide receiver heavy strategy, it's a waterfall effect where you're trying to win kind of like four spots and you draft tons and tons of wide receivers early because to win the flex, you need to have also one wide receiver three and one wide receiver two and one wide receiver one. You can't just say, I'm going to win the flex. You need to have drafted wide receivers prior to that. So that, that's a really good point. I think in a three wide receiver, two running back league though, are you more apt or less apt to do it in a casual league? 
Like if in you're in in terms of going, if you're in a league, back. yeah, if you're in a league that's set up correctly yeah. for it, you know, yeah. let's say I, half or full PPR, two running backs, three wide receiver, one flex. I am less apt to do it in a casual league than I am in a really competitive league. And the reason I, I'm doing that is because I think generally, and I know you and Sean Siegel talk about this a lot, where Sean believes really strongly that the zero wide receiver builds actually build up your floor better than you think. Um, I think they really lean on in terms of high-end ceiling outcomes. They lean on a lot of fragility, which does happen during the course of the season. But I think that I can, I don't think I need all of that fragility to be able to compete with my league mates. So in general, in both sets, my like favorite type of approach is more of a modified zero running back or that hero running back build, however you want to, mm-hmm. however you want to label it. But that's generally, I, I like to play it down the middle a little bit more, but I would say I'm more likely, especially in a lot of the higher stakes um, competition in leagues like uh, that, they end up also being roll-up leagues where you're really trying to build a team that is just an absolute monster for the playoffs and not just beating you know, 10 other opponents or 11 other opponents, but beating like 100 other opponents. And in a league where I'm just trying to beat 11 other opponents, or once I get down to the playoffs, like one opponent each week, I feel like I can maneuver my roster a little bit more. And I like having kind of a a little bit more of that foundation at the running back position than kind of working it throughout the course of the season and, 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 uh, and adding and building it out. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm still a little torn on it just because if you can beat people at waivers and get all the targets you want yeah. late, like if you could just really crush them early. But I think, I think what you're saying makes sense. I also think we talked about scoring settings and roster format settings, but the number of teams that make the playoffs too yeah. is a big deal. You know, I'm in a league where eight out of 12 teams make the playoffs. Like yeah. I can, I can go full zero RB yeah. and punt off some weeks early and be okay. I'm going to make the playoffs and hope to have that monster team at the end of the playoffs. If four out of 12 teams make the playoffs and I'm, stuck at running back for a few weeks out of the gate that that might be a problem (laughs) so so the number of teams that make the playoffs matter as far as the onesie positions quarterback and tight end this is something i'll start with tight end because i've done a little bit of a 180 here talking with pat corane about it and pat was questioning me about why I was kind of saying how I value the elite tight ends a little bit more in best ball than in a regular league. And for me, the initial answer was, well, there's this really big structural edge in best ball where I only have to take two tight ends. I think that's a pretty big deal. And even with the best ball scoring, you know, it's hard to manufacture the upside of an elite tight end. Pat's counter was kind of something that we started off the show with, which is we have edge in so many areas. And one area where you absolutely, again, cannot manufacture upside is with late round tight ends. And even though I'm right that like you're not going to get huge upside from a trio of bad tight ends in best ball, you're probably going to get some okay scores. Whereas, you know, Jack Miller was saying, when you have to choose which one of those bad yeah. tight ends to start, yeah. you could have really low score. And then I asked Sean Siegel about this on the NFFC podcast. And he's like, yeah, in some ways it's like playing with an extra position on people. So I've come around to uh, prioritizing an elite tight end a a lot more in these home league settings than I was, you know, kind of like initially thinking about early in the off season. Yeah. I would say that, you know, I'm gosh, I'm 20, 
five plus years into playing these types of home league formats and whatnot. And I would say probably in greater than 75% of those years, I'm trying to have one of the tight ends that can legitimately finish tight end one. Um, you know, back in the day, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates. Uh, now it's been Travis Kelsey that I've been riding in these leagues. And I'm and in, in keeper formats, I'm trying to find those guys early so I can keep them at good tags as well. Um, and for me, the reason for that is just what you highlighted and what, and what, you know, all these other great guests highlighted is you have so many different ways that you can make up edge during the course of the draft, but at tight end, it's the one position that like only a few guys separate themselves from everybody else. And so you have limited spots. Even if we were saying like we were blindly picking randomly um, and, and we didn't know the names of the tight ends, we didn't know how good they were or whatever, we would have fewer chances to hit correctly there. And when we do hit correctly, the gains are outsized. So it's even more important for me in these home leagues, specifically with the tight end position. The quarterback position is totally different, but specifically with the tight end position, it is it is really important for me to try to get somebody that I feel like can finish as the tight end one overall, because it'll it it there's a couple compounding effects here too. One, I think generally home leagues undervalue the tight end position. Generally, they're running back heavier early in the first round, and people never want to take a tight end in the first round. Like this Travis Kelsey tight end in the first round thing is a very new concept to many, many people. Um, even back in the day, like Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez and those types of guys who were dominant at their position were not going in in the first round. So it's a, it's it's also that they get a little bit of value added in in terms of where they usually go on ADP front. Um, and then also the areas that you can most add value over your competition is in those later rounds, running backs and wide receivers on the player evaluation side. And so by naturally taking that tight end early, I'm also allowing myself to draft later in the draft with the roster positions that I can add the most value over my competition. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And you said it doesn't necessarily apply to QB and QB is interesting to me. So last year to set the QB stage, last year we had QBs separate in a way like they haven't before. You know, the top eight or so QBs relative to the rest of the league, it was a non-linear drop-off. It was a very steep drop-off. And not only that, but it was the guys that were drafted as top 12 QBs that performed well. Um, TJ Hernandez, I reference a lot because he had some really good tweets on it. I believe it was nine out of 12 of the top 12 quarterbacks last year were drafted in the top 12 quarterbacks, which was by far the most that we've seen. And it's because they're pretty easily identifiable. These guys that are elite passers and pass happy offenses or guys that have elite athleticism and are used as a combination of passers and rushers. So like the top six this year is pretty clearly Mahomes, Allen, Kyler, Lamar, Dak in some fashion or top five. And then you've got Russ Herbert. And then it, it does start to fall off a little bit. My sort of, I wouldn't say counter to that, but trying to just say, Hey, let's not solely rely on what happened last year. Let's think about how it could change this year is I think we're getting, I think there is more upside at the quarterback position, but I think we're going to get more people that can inject themselves into that conversation with guys like Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, all of the rookies this year, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, maybe even Zach Wilson to a lesser extent. And as a result, I'm tentative to take a quarterback too early in these casual leagues where quarterbacks generally go too early definitely still think like if one of those top five guys is there in the sixth round like kind of pull the trigger for the same reasons pull the trigger at tight end but i think you're maximizing your edge probably a little bit better if in rounds four and five you're just beating people with the running back wide receiver positions 
Yeah, I totally agree here. I think the league, the NFL as a whole, is in a transitional stage where we've had through youth football and college football, the influence of spread programs and athletes and at the quarterback position kind of funneling up for the last decade or so. And you've seen this more and more at the, as, as national uh, or as, as college football teams that like, you know, contend for the national title have some of these dual threat quarterbacks and you've seen them like slowly sprinkle into the league over time. But as we get further and further in this evolution, they're going to represent a higher and higher percentage of the league. And so we're going to start with this situation where, because we all know that rushing value at the quarterback position, because it's so skewed in terms of fantasy points, is so much more valuable than passing value if you have the two uh, equivalent. So what we had before was this league that had all these traditional pocket passers, and the thing that was going to separate them from each other was how many touchdowns they threw. And then over time, we started to have incrementally a few rushing quarterbacks that started to eat into that edge from touchdown variance in, in terms of production by, by their legs, by adding 500, 700, 800 rushing yards during the course of the year. And now we're starting to see that evolution further where it eats up a little bit more. But we're in this middle point of this transition where last year, I think, was like the the outlier situation where you're at this middle point where there's not enough of the running guys in the league to really make a big difference. So now it's just the running guys and the high end touchdown scorers that are separating from the position over time. We'll get to a league that has almost every quarterback has that level of mobility to them. And we'll go back to sort of the late round QB type days and strategies. So while we're in the middle of this, we need to be aware of kind of where we're at and where the league's going to be. But I think this year in particular presents some unique opportunities with young quarterbacks that have come into the league that are not priced as if we know their rushing value, but we have seen their rushing value at the collegiate level. And so this year in, in particular, I think is a great year in home leagues to be attacking those rookie quarterbacks and finding maybe a stream partner early in the season. Um, last year, I wouldn't have said that. Last year, I didn't think that was the case. I thought last year it was going to be tougher to find those Lamar Jacksons. It was, you know, it was maybe Kyler last year, um, the breakout type quarterbacks. I think we have a few back on the radar this year with Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Yeah, I think those rookie quarterbacks, Lance and Fields in particular, if you're we're recording this on Wednesday, August 18th, if you're recording sometime over the next week or two, like I think there's pretty legitimate chance that those guys at some point get announced starters as week one. Maybe it doesn't happen, but there's at least a chance and their ADP is going to flip if that happens. So if you're drafting over the next couple of weeks, I think there's a really big edge on planning on getting one of those guys in the teens rounds. And again, if you're talking a 16 team league, you know, maybe your league has kicker and defense in it. Yo, 16, 16 roster, not 16, 16, 16 teams. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. 16 roster spots. So 16 rounds, and let's say two of them are kicker and defense late. It's really a 14-round draft. I mean, when you start getting the double digits, you can easily get one of those quarterbacks in the double-digit rounds, and it's almost like the last round in that format. And as you said, pair them with a streaming partner. I just recorded the quarterback strategy episode show with Adam Levitan and Evan Silva. Silva was touting Sam Darnold with a super easy early season schedule. I think in some of these leagues, you can even aim a little higher and get Tua or Baker guys that I think actually have like an okay ceiling, maybe yeah. not super high end, but like fringe QB one and, and can definitely cover you just in case Fields or Lance don't start out of the gate. And then once Fields or Lance are rolling, 
you kind of can just drop that second quarterback and use that spot for a lottery ticket somewhere else. So that's the strategy I'm absolutely on this year. There's definitely pockets of the draft that I'm willing to take guys, even Burrow and Hertz kind of in between the high end quarterback tier and these rookies we're talking about, if they get to round 10 or so, you know, willing to pull the trigger on those guys. What I'm really trying to avoid are the pure pocket passers that are getting drafted because of how well they did last year. So you see Rodgers and Brady going in some of these casual leagues in round six through eight, way too early. I'm not totally against pure pocket passers. I think you want some rushing upside on your roster somewhere. But so like I'm willing to take Matt Ryan in round 13, where I think like the actual ceiling of him versus Brady and Rodgers probably isn't different. Those guys are just safer, but you're not paying that huge premium to do so. So if I am drafting a quarterback in the single digit rounds, that's where like absolutely needs that really high end rushing upside. And then as far as streaming goes, I think streaming's a little bit dead. Like I think covering Lance or Fields to start the year, using matchups to do that makes sense. But I don't think you're going to be able to rotate through your quarterbacks all year long and just play matchups. Like I don't think those guys are going to get there. Um, you know, if you're playing in years past, if you think about it in terms of DraftKings, this is what Silva said on the show. Like we would take a lot of 5K quarterbacks that were pure pocket passers and good matchups, and the matchup would elevate them and they'd be fine. Those guys aren't getting as close to the high end quarterbacks as they used to. Like, I don't know if you can rotate Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kirk Cousins, and Derek Carr in good matchups and get there anymore. So I'm a little bit out on planning to QB stream. Yeah. It's like an okay contingent value on like, okay, you drafted Lancer Fields and for some reason that just went way wrong and not how we thought. You kind of have to stream at that point, but um, even still like like a guy like Taysom, you can you can be on the lookout for. Um, so that that's my little spiel on, on planning to stream the quarterback position. Yeah, I think I think when you talk about streaming in the past, we talked about it conceptually as this idea of there's always going to be somebody I can find a good matchup in and I can get 75% of the quarterback points and rotate my roster spot all, all year long. And I think maybe that's now like 65% and that's that 10 percentage points is starting to eat away at, you know, your ability to compete on a weekend and week out basis. But if you talk about streaming contextually as an idea where I am trying to find the upside quarterback that is my, like, I'm, you know, I'm like dating. I'm casually dating the quarterback position. I'm trying to find a long-term partner, but week in and week out, you know, I might go on a date with a different quarterback. I think that approach is more of what modern streaming should be and that you're trying to find, and what does a long-term partner look like at the quarterback position? It usually looks like somebody with rushing upside. So these guys who are going at a cost of streaming right now that have the potential for that rushing upside, Taysom Hills, um, you know, Cam Newton to a lesser extent, uh, that would be like really deep leagues and whatnot, but Taysom Hill, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, um, Zach Wilson, those types of quarterbacks that could potentially become your long-term partner at the quarterback position, I think are, are the ones that you want to be trying to stream and trying to find the right matchups for, because if you if you find the right matchups and you see that rushing upside start to exert itself, then you found your long-term partner and you move on from the situation. So the last piece of strategy with home leagues and maximizing the edge are later round targets, where I think 
this is a really big edge spot in managed leagues with the shorter bench and being able to churn wires where we want to focus on breakout players. And again, even looking at the ETR rankings, you might want to, even from even though we have a lot of the younger players with nice breakout profiles boosted, I, I might boost them a little bit higher when you get to the point where you know you don't need them as a starter to begin the year. Because on an average managed league, you are churning through roster spots a lot. So you don't really care if, you, if the player doesn't hit. You don't have to draft them. You're trying to hit that home run so that they become obvious starts. Or again, we have a trade market here in, in most of these home leagues. So someone like Rondell Moore, I'm just huge on Rondell Moore this year. I'm still like gauging my cost on him in best ball leagues where there's some guys that have better production overall right now. You know, they project for more points. But if I'm in a home league, you know, I don't really care that you know Russell Gage gets picked on a lot, but he's a good example. Like I don't really care yeah. that he's probably going to score more points than Rondell Moore. You know, what I care is I want the guy that has a much better chance of breaking out. So I'm more likely to take Rondell Moore or Elijah Moore, you know, the rookies there. And then same thing at running back. Like you can take some big swing, big swings on the guys that are pure hand cut values and hope you get an injury and kind of just watch the market. So I think that's an edge that we have over our league members where they're drafting off some sort of list. And they're not really thinking about how does this play into my roster? Like they're not thinking about maximizing the edge. They're just kind of taking the highest guy on a list or the highest guy in a projection set. That doesn't necessarily equate to the most valuable guy to your specific roster. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said there. And I, I don't have a lot to add. So I'm going to shift this conversation very slightly with late round targets in terms of also maximizing roster construction. And we talk about roster construction in a way that's totally different from what I'm going to talk about here with leaving your draft in your home league, which is usually we talk about, you know, zero running back or, um, you know, what distribution of wide receivers and running backs we, we want and whatnot. The, the roster construction I want to talk about end of draft is don't even draft a kicker or defense. I like maybe a defense if you find one that you think you're going to use for the first like four weeks of the season or whatever. But these are positions largely you're going to stream throughout the course of the year. And if you're drafting be- well before the start of the season, use those extra roster spots as long as you're allowed to, as long as your league rules allow it, on other wide receivers or running backs. Let the news work in your favor during the course of the, the during the course of the preseason and give yourself two extra shots at finding the right situation. And so I this is something that I also do in during the course of the season in leagues. Um, and some league formats allow you to do it better than others. I did a YouTube video for our YouTube channel last year on how Yahoo allows you to transact during the week while the games are going on in certain league formats that allow you to where you don't even need to pick up a kicker until Sunday night or Monday night football to see if you even need the kicker's points to compete. And it gives you a free roster spot, a free flex spot to evaluate during the course of the week because you can drop a bench player that has already played their game on Yahoo. <laughs> and so it allows you this free look at a player before, before you can move on them. So these types of little, little tricks and trades where you can manipulate your roster to get extra shots on goal with wide receivers and running backs, the real difference makers in your league is really important to do. And I don't see enough people do it. I mean, I've been doing this strategy for 10 plus years in my home leagues and no one else does it. No one else, everyone leaves with a kicker in defense in their draft. 
And I'm just like, okay, I got two extra skill positions to try to figure out. Now, some league formats won't allow you. They make you fill out a roster. Fine. Fill out the roster. The next day that you can draft through the roster and you can get back to that illegal roster, take the illegal roster up until draft up until game day. Um, I think it's really, really extra edge and hidden value, especially in the preseason when injuries happen, when roles change, and when opportunities come out of nowhere like they did last year with James Robinson. And I think this is where people have struggled, where these lottery tickets that Drew's adding to his roster are really low probability to hit, and people think about that too much instead of focusing on the payoff, where you mentioned James Robinson – that was a huge shift in your chance of winning a league if you hit that. So even though your chances are low, if it hits, it just such it's this asymmetric upside. And not only that, but it might seem like only two chances, but you do it in the preseason, you do it every week throughout the year, and you've gone from taking two lottery tickets and you've turned it into maybe 15 lottery tickets. Now your odds of hitting one of them are a little bit better than if you just did it one time. So that makes a ton of sense. I hope that everyone enjoyed this and helped you dominate your home league. I'm excited for some home league drafts I have coming up over the next couple of weeks. If you're a super flex player, make sure to check out the Establish the Edge podcast feed on iTunes. I recorded an episode with Anthony Amico last week that was focused on super flex. We also are recording this for our YouTube channel. So if you want to see Drew and I's faces, uh, there's not too many bells and whistles, but you can check it out. Probably should have mentioned that at the top of the show, but... Uh, Not the most polished podcast host here. On the polished podcast note, make sure you use promo code ETE at Establish the Run for any premium package. Uh, Helps us out a lot if you also rate and review the podcast on iTunes so we can keep doing this for free and keep it going throughout the course of the season. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Best of luck dominating your home leagues. 